Good morning, everyone. Junior church, fourth grade, um, down to four years old, you are dismissed to walk. They're awfully quiet this morning. Wow, that's kind of odd. Something's wrong. Don't jinx it. (laughs) One summer morning, Ray Blankenship was sitting there, eating his breakfast, looking out the window. And outside, in this uh, drainage ditch, it was very flooded with water because of all the rains they've been having here lately. And this is um, in his home in Andover, Ohio. As he's sitting there, eating his uh, breakfast and everything, he's looking at that ditch and he sees a little girl being swept through the current. Um, Blankenship knew that down that stream, further on the ditch, it went into where more um, combined together and it would be a roar of a downstream that would empty on even further and this little girl was going to be lost. So he ran out the door. He, he tried to race along as side as he could and trying to get ahead of the little girl. And then he jumped into the water. He's, he's floundering around as this current is turning him over and over. And he reaches the girl and grabs her. And then the current starts dragging them both around. He sticks out a free hand and he's dragging alongside of this ditch. And he actually gets a hold of a rock and he's thinking at this moment while the river or the water is trying to pull this little girl out of his hands, if I can just stay here, if I can just hold on until help comes. Amazingly, though, um, by the time fire department rescuers arrived, he had pulled this little girl to safety. They were both treated for shock. This was on April 12, 1989. Now, Ray was awarded the Coast Guard Civil, uh, Silver Life-Saving Medal because he put himself at risk to help someone else, someone he didn't know. But here's where it gets really interesting. I, most people would say he was a hero. But here's where it's interesting. Ray doesn't know how to swim. He jumped in not knowing how to swim. He's not a champion. He is above and beyond a hero. So many times, guys are wanting to be able to face situations and come out that hero. They want to be that hero. We all meet situations in a life where we can do nothing on our own power and strength, that we are facing something. There are situations in our life that are just too big. They are giants. We have to decide how we're going to face them, like Ray did. The Israelites are facing a situation in the scriptures we're going to read today. Goliath and the Philistines are ready to annihilate them. Now, the story of David and Goliath is perhaps one of the favorite of all stories of biblical characters of the Old Testament. I don't know any little boy who, once they learn this, doesn't want to be David, who wants to be able to beat Goliath. Everyone loves a story where the underdog wins. Um, I didn't watch this movie, and some people say I'm not allowed to live in this state, though, because of it. But in 1986, the film Hoosiers, yeah, I have not seen it. Um, It includes a final scene where there's a small-town high school basketball team takes on the big city team for the Indiana State Championship. And in the final moments before the team uh, takes the court, this is how the passage describes it that David took a stone and bag and slung it, knocking the Philistine to the ground. 
And he was trying to say, this is what we are going to do. He was trying to use the biblical example as a way to inspire the team to go out there and do something that should be impossible. Anytime someone is trying to relate a mismatched group, whether it's between boys on the schoolyard, countries in conflict, uh, teams playing in the Super Bowl, they often relate the story of a David and Goliath situation. We're going to look at the David and Goliath, and we're going to be looking by introducing the characters. Uh, starting in 1 Samuel 17, verse 1, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Succo in Judah and Azekah at the Ephesus Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. The valley of Elah is, was not a narrow ravine. It was more like a vast canyon. It's about a mile wide with a small stream ambling in the middle of this canyon, which is where later we're going to read David picks his five smooth stones. On one slope, mile, uh, half a mile from the center of the valley, is the army of Israel. And on the other slope is the army of the Philistines. Now, now that we've got the sage, stage set, let's, let's see who's in the one corner. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. This guy likes brass. The shaft of his spear was heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, teeped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Goliath's size and appearance were so impressive that it goes into detail. The author here goes into detail to describe him. Goliath is huge. Now, depending on which commentary you're going to read, the way that you can translate this, um, this translation says nine feet, but there's a little speculation. So he's anywhere from seven feet to nine feet tall. Now, today, the NBA and the NFL would love him. His sheer size wasn't the only thing that was impressive about him. He had an expensive, heavy, impressive suit of armor. He was wearing this chain of uh, coat of mail, basically, and the Philistines garbed themselves for battle with heavy canvas um, interlaced with overlapping ringlets of bronze. This coat of mail, from shoulder to knee, weighed around 125 pounds. He also had a bronze helmet, bronze leggings to protect his shin. He carried a spear. Just the spearhead weighed 15 pounds. That means he is carrying over 200, easily over 200 pounds of armor. Do you know how heavy or strong you have to be to, to be able to fight in that amount of armor? One year for VBS, we had a medieval theme, and I got to borrow a chainmail suit and a helmet and a shield and a sword, and we walked five blocks in a parade. I almost needed paramedics. It was so heavy on my chest, I couldn't breathe real well. And I was like, man, I need my inhaler just to walk. Imagine battling with that much armor. 
His armor bearer, Goliath's armor bearer, also carried the largest shield used in battle. This shield would have been as big as the armor bearer. So that Goliath could hide behind it for arrows and then come out to fight. Allow your mind to just stop for a moment and picture this scene. Imagine how frightening it'd be to have this guy challenge you to a fight. Who also has an armor bearer whose his job is to make sure Goliath doesn't get harmed. This giant in all his magnificence seems absolutely beyond defeat. Now look what he did. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you coming out to us to fight? He called. I am a Philistine champion, but you are the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul, remember Saul is the king. He's head and taller than anybody. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Saul is an army captain. He's the commander. He's a warrior. And in this move, the king, the handsome one, the leader of God's armies is shaken. Goliath is proposing a tactic that is very common back in that time. It was called a representative battle. A one-on-one fight. That way you didn't have to have all the bloodshed of everybody. You didn't have to waste all of those people. We'll just send one. We'll send our best. Whoever won, that was the winner of the whole thing. Now, realize Goliath didn't issue any challenge just this once. He didn't say this one time. Look what it says, verse 16. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Now, he is the champion. For 40 days, he's taunting them. He's strutting. How do you think he's strutting? He's got over 200 pounds of armor on him, and I really think he's kind of like George Jefferson. Come on. I, I, I could just see him strutting, trying to show how big he is, and he's trying to taunt them, and every time he does, he keeps belittling the others. You can't even come out here. You're weak. You're tiny. For 40 days, the Israelite army, God's army, was willing to flee, step back in terror. Saul, Israel's king, probably should have been the challenger. He was the chosen one. He was uh, by far the biggest man in the kingdom, the most skilled and experienced in battle. But remember, at this point, God had removed his spirit from him. But what about Jonathan? Jonathan is Saul's son. Why didn't Saul, or why didn't Jonathan volunteer? Or Abner, the commander and the chief of the army? Why didn't they volunteer? Was there anybody in this army who was strong enough, who was courageous enough? Many times I think that's what happens in our lives. When a giant shows up on our doorstep, we shut up. We back up. We allow them to domineer and dominate. When faced with a giant, how do you typically respond? 
how do you typically respond? You have this, this giant come in, whether it's finances, physical health, family issues. Do you watch it parade in front of you? Do you retreat in a corner? Do you turn the blind eye? How do you typically respond? The Israelites are clothed in battle armor, but in real, uh, real honesty, they are wearing fear. They're clothed in fear. Now, that's one side. In the other corner, 10 to 15 miles away, up in the Judean mountains, is the little hamlet of Bethlehem. A teenager named David is keeping his dad's sheep. He's too young to be fighting the army. In fact, at this point, David probably had no idea what is going on down in this valley of Elah. All he knew is his three oldest brothers are off fighting in Saul's army. David's dad's very concerned about his sons, so he decides to have David run a little errand. That's David, the errand boy. Picking up in verse 17, One day Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. Give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. A little bit of bribe here. Uh, See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. We see that David, he is not going to fight. He is on an errand. There's no intention of joining the battle. He is sent to go bring refreshments. He's the snack boy. He's the water boy. When there is a football field and, and somebody needs a drink, do they send the quarterback out to go give a water? No, that's the water boy's job. That's somebody who doesn't need to be out there on the football field. That's David at this point. And to bring a gift to the commander, to bring his and then to come back and tell about their well-being. This is the stage that is set. Goliath's doing his taunt and his strut for two days, or twice daily for 40 days. And then young little innocent Aaron boy is on his way into the scene. The sun rises that morning just like any other morning for David and Goliath. Neither had any idea that that day was going to change their life forever. This is the way life often is for us. We wake up and we don't realize that this is the day that either the giant wins or the giant falls. Verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Pause. The Israelite army every morning gets up and they rouse themselves up with, with excitement. They're cheering, oh, oh, let's get them. And they're excited. And what happens when they get there? Oh, Goliath's still here. Let's go back to camp. They get themselves ready. Soon the Israelites and the Philistine forces stood facing each army, army against army. Now, when there are two teams, and I've seen this, I've been involved in it. When there are two opposing teams, rivalries, they're facing each other. They're not sitting there going, we hope you do well today. They're all shouting taunts. They're all battling cries out. Soon the Israelite armies, they're facing each other. 22, David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. The army's out there taunting, and then it parts like the Red Sea. And out comes their champion. 
David heard Goliath shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. They just got themselves excited. They just got all geared up and courageous. And they're shouting, we're going to win. We're going to do this. And they ran in fear. Can you imagine what's going through David's mind at this point? He comes over the top of the hill and he sees, there's the army. There's God's army. And they're getting ready. I can't just sit here and wait. I've got to go join and see how this is going to play out. I'm going to go and and shout the victories with my brothers. I'm going to find out what's going on. I wonder if he stood and stared with his mouth open at the awe of this scene. It, It must have been kind of frightening and exciting at the same time. As he got to the edge of the camp, he saw them yelling and stirring each other up into a fervor, and they're marching out. David runs and joins with them. He finds his brothers. He's talking to them when all of a sudden, this giant from across the valley yells out and taunts them. And this scene he had when he first gets there of this God army, cheering and chanting and ready to fight, flees. Remember, David never seen this giant from Gath, nor has he heard the challenge. Suddenly he's standing there, and it said the army fled. And I really picture David looking around in wonder, like, what is going on? This arm, this uh, giant is standing on the other side, taunting and laughing. And imagine when the army flees. What do you think that the Philistine army is doing? Laughing, mocking even more. How did David respond? Scripture shows he was furious. You can tell this in the way that the rest of this event plays out. No one talks about my God this way. David's not impressed by this giant. Starting in verse 26, David asked the soldiers who were standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistines and ending this defiance of Israel? Wait, wait a minute, what? He already knows there needs to be a champion. What's the prize for winning? He's not thinking of losing. That's what that's saying. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? These men gave David the same reply. They said, oh, I think I skipped something. Nope, okay, I did. And the reward for killing him. They, they told him the reward. Saul has a deceptive plan here. If I need a giant, because I'm not willing to go out there and do it, so he promises a reward of great riches. Here's the reward. I want you to... Fellas, think about this. All you have to do is go out and win the battle, and this could be yours. Okay? You'll get great riches, my daughter's hand in marriage, and tax-free for the rest of your life. That's a bonus, right? Now, as we're going to see later, the daughter is not much of a reward. Um, I'm not saying about all daughters. I'm saying this daughter, okay? Okay. But great riches and no taxes, I think you might want to put up with that daughter. Okay? So two out of three isn't bad. But not even those rewards were enough to prompt any of the army to volunteer. 
Then what happens is what I think people would call older brother syndrome. Verse 28, but when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep? Notice how he belittles him. Those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of. I know about your pride and deceit. You just wanted to see a battle. He's the oldest son. Now, as an oldest of the brothers in my family, we know that we are the best, the smartest, the best looking, most talented. We're just the greatest. Okay? And when a little brother comes into the scene, all you really need to do is kick them. Okay? That's all they are. My little brothers are like chihuahuas. Okay? Just get out of the way. Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> Eliab is the oldest of Jesse who first walked into the house that day several weeks ago when the prophet Samuel said, Surely this is the one whom God has chosen. Which means he's big. He's handsome. He's talented. And that's when God put his hand on Samuel's shoulder and said, No, no, not this one. A few minutes later, Eliab stood there and watched as Samuel poured the anointing oil over his youngest brother David's head to be chosen as king. This little chihuahua pipsqueak of a brother just beat his big brother. That day at the battle, Eliab tore into David and sought to insult him and embarrass him in front of the army. Aren't you supposed to be watching, you know, your few little lambs pipsqueak? He questioned David, David's motives. He ridiculed him <clears throat> with his responsibilities and then accused him of wickedness. Isn't it interesting when we're facing a, a giant of our own, how we can so easily and readily see our own guilt and fault and we place that on someone else. We throw that onto them so that we can feel better about ourselves. Who really had the conceited and wicked heart? Not David. Sounds like Eliab. I think this points. I think at this point, the average person would have rolled up his sleeves and just punched his brother. I think that's what David probably wanted to do. And often, Satan wants to distract us from fighting the to fighting the wrong battles. If David would have tore into his brother, it would have been a, okay. I mean, his brother was wrong. Had David focused on this battle with brother, he would have missed the fight with the enemy. Verse 29. What have I done now? David replied. I was only asking a question. Basically, mind your own business. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then, then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. David is persistent here. I want to know the answer to this. And people told him a thing, and then he, his brother mocked him and belittled him, and he says, mind your own business, and he kept asking until the king summoned him. When faced with a giant, answer this question. Do you allow others to discourage you? The whole army is mocking David, as they're a mockery of God's army. His brother belittled him. Keep in mind that Saul is the guy who should be fighting, but he doesn't want to. And so when you're facing a giant, 
you hear all those other voices out there that are not willing to stand up and face it? Did you allow them to discourage you? Verse 32, David tells this, Don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Now, Saul, he's king. He's commander. He's big. He's strong. And a little teenage boy comes up. Don't worry about him. I got it. Now, now when somebody little comes up and says they're going to take on this big task, don't we just go, oh, that's cute. <laughs> nice try. Look, look what Saul does. He's finally found willing, someone to, willing to fight. But there's one small um, problem. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Even at this moment, Saul ridicules David. Do you let other voices discourage you? We can only see externals, and sometimes we are impressed by them. We can't see the heart like God can. King Saul looked at this teenage boy and thought, you, you don't even have a prayer. But look what David did. Verse 34. David persisted. If you have a Bible, I would underline that, highlight that. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have you ever tried to take, like, beef jerky or something out of a dog's mouth when they're already... You know how they kind of growl and they'll pull it away? A bear and a lion have lamb chops. And you want to, I'd sit there and go, that's an acceptable loss. That's what I do. David goes and takes it from the mouth of the lion and the bear. And then look, um, if the animal turns on me, I catch it by its jaw and club it to death. He reaches for where the teeth are. No. If the bear turns and shows me teeth, I'm gone. <laughs> I'm not going to sit there and grab it. And then he clubs it to death. Verse 36, I have done this to both lions and bears. Plural. Not a lion and a bear, but multiples of each. And I will do it to this pagan. This pagan Philistine too, if he had, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Notice how David points to the victories. He describes that God has rescued him from these pipsqueak animals. There's no way this giant could beat him either. The only giant in David's life is God. No matter how big these other enemies are, to David, God is bigger. No matter how powerful the armies, those jaws, the, the armor, the strength, are nothing because God is all-powerful. That's David here. And so often when we face our giants, we forget what we need to remember. And we remember what we should forget. We remember our defeats, our failures, 
our weaknesses. We forget our victories in God. Most of us, if you ask the question, can recite the failures of our lives in vivid detail. But when we ask, what are the greatest victories of your life? Well, I really haven't had any. You know, because we don't remember our God victories. We forget the victories and successes that God has accomplished in and through us. But David says, you know why I can fight Goliath? Because the same God who gave me the strength, the courage to fight the lion and the bear are going to overpower this giant and hand him to me. What, what I really get from this, he grabbed the jaw of the lion and the bear and he clubbed it to death. What's he planning to do to Goliath? Full frontal face attack. He's not talking subterfuge here. He's not talking sly. He is going full-on, head-on attack. At this point, look what Saul says in the end of 37. Saul finally consented. Finally. That means David had to keep persisting. All right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. This is when Saul gives a, just a foolish um, suggestion. Before you go into battle... Put on my armor. Now, in my head, I'm wondering, is this so that people might think, hey, look, Saul did go out there. Because he'd have special armor, maybe. But you don't borrow other people's armors. Here's Saul, 52 long, okay? And David's a 36 regular. He's tiny. He's a little guy. David tries everything on, and it's like the helmet comes past his eyes. The shirt mail has got these big holes in it, and and when he moves his arm, it it just starts making that chinking sound. He can't even walk in it. David said something like, Saul, I can't can't wear this. I can't walk in it, let alone fight in it. I I haven't even practiced in it. So David dropped Saul's swords his sword, and slid out of all that armor. He took all of this. The king's going to have the good armor. He's going to have the best armor. Verse 40. David picked up five smooth stones, not battle armor, from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. He strips down to his simple garments. He's armed with shepherd's supplies. His sling, five smooth stones, and a staff. He's going against an armored tank with a rock and a stick. The beautiful thing about this story is that it's a perfect example of how God operates. God's strength is always magnified in the midst of our weakness. God likes to work when the decks are stacked against Him and us. When it's obvious That he's the one who did it. We don't have to be eloquent, strong, or handsome. We don't have to be smart or even know what we're doing. God honors faith. This is his game plan. This is what he's done all throughout scriptures. And through this, God says, trust me. I know these giants are big. I know that these voices are loud. But quit looking at them. 
God, ask that we trust Him, that we stand before Him with faith and obedience and allow Him to win the battle. Now keep in mind that Goliath is still a giant. He is still powerful, imposing. He's got a huge presence. And David had all the odds stacked against him, including his own friends and family. His king belittling him and not believing in him. There isn't a guy in the Philistine camp who, when they saw David come out, there isn't even one, I think, in the, in the Israelite camp who say, ooh, 20 bucks on the little guy. Nobody would have done that. He had nothing for him except God. Verse 41, Goliath walked out towards David and his shield bear ahead of him. It's not one-on-one. It is two-on-one. I think sometimes we forget that. Giants bring backup. Sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy, Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of all his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. This is where you see the heart of David. David replied to the Philistine. Now they're in the middle of the the valley here. And they are roaring. They have not come together yet. That means everybody can hear this. He is shouting it. He's not whispering it. You have come at me with sword, spear, and javelin. An armor bearer and all the army. And you've got a whole backup team. But I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. This is the ultimate sticks and stones may break my bones. But God's name is going to hurt you. That's what he's saying. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, today the Lord will conquer you. Not I. The Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you. Notice he is saying, I am going to do this because God has handed you over. And I will cut off your head. He has a rock and a stick. How is he going to cut off his head? He doesn't have a knife. He doesn't have a sword. And then, listen to this, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Not only you, Goliath, but I am going to cut off your head and then give all of them up as a banquet feast for the vultures. You have defied my God, and today... Everyone will know this is God's people. Verse 47, everyone assembled here will know. And this is real key. Everyone here, he is not talking just to the Philistines. He is also talking to the Israelite army. Today, we will all know the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and He will give you to us. I think Goliath's had enough at this point. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran quickly, quickly ran out to meet him. 
reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from the sheath. He used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they turned and ran. This is why people love this event, this biblical event here. This is why little boys want to be a David. Aren't you amazed at how David was able to stand against this massive creature? He stood against the onslaught of insults the belittling of his own family and friends, and he said, not today, because my God is victorious. He ran. It says he quickly ran. When there is a big guy wanting to fight you, how many of you would quickly run to them versus quickly run away? When our giants intimidate us, don't we generally get tongue-tied and confused in him and all? And, uh, um, not David. Goliath shouted, I'm going to kill you today. Really, Goliath? How are you going to do that without your head? I'm going to make you shorter. We forget what we need to remember. The victories that God has given us. We forget to pray. We forget how to pray when our giants are coming at us. We forget whom we represent, and we stand there with our knees knocking. How did David, in this scene, keep from being intimidated? That, that's the one question here. How do you keep someone from being intimidated? I, in high school, I was dating this one girl, and I hadn't met her dad yet. This wasn't Casey. Her dad was a lot better than this one. Um, and this girl said, I, I want you to come in and meet my dad. Okay. I came around through the kitchen into the living room, and there he is with a shotgun cocked open looking at me through the double barrels. And he goes, where are you going tonight? In all my strength and bravery, I said, we're going to watch Jeopardy with you. <laughs> and we did. He intimidated me. He pointed a gun at me. Yeah, I'll sit right next to you, sir. Yeah. You need something? I'll get it. Yeah. I, uh, he intimidated me. How did David keep from being intimidated from this big giant who had a backup plan for succeeding him? One thing that David did was that he didn't keep his eyes on the giant. His eyes were fixed on God. That's how he's able to do it. He saw this little tiny guy in front of him compared to God. David didn't look at the obstacle. He didn't look at Goliath. He looked at God. When we're facing giants in our world, where, where do we generally look? Here's the diagnosis. Oh, we've got to look at that. Here's the new bill that's coming. Oh, I've got to look at that. Here's the family problem. Let's look at that. What did David do? He looked up at God. Why do we look at the problem instead of the provider? 
There's another secret Dave, uh, for David, and this, this, I think, is a monumental truth that we so often forget, and we need to remember this. The secret for David was this. He understood and believed one thing. The battle is the Lord's. He even said it to Goliath. Second Chronicles, it also says, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by the mighty armor, for the battle is not yours, but God's. These battles, these giants that are coming in our life are not for us to fight. It is God's battle. Now, let me ask you a question. If God is going to battle, who's going to win? God is. Then why would we look at the puny giants compared to the magnificent God? And then if God is with us, if God is for us, who could be against us? We've got to remember this truth. I know many of us, many of you here, have intimidating giants today. You have something in your life who is belittling you, intimidating you. It may relate to your job, someone in your home, school or social something. Maybe it's a person. Lawsuits, unemployment. Disaster, maybe even your spouse. Perhaps it's some fear that is lurking around in the corner, sucking and draining all your energy. What is God saying to you? All I ask is five smooth stones and a sling of faith. I'll take it from here. You don't have to wear somebody else's armor. Trust me. I'll win the victory. I'll get the glory. But will you stand and walk with me? That's what, that's what David did. And those, those giants in life, they are intimidating. They are scary. Part of it is, it's what is behind those giants? I mean, for Philistine, army was right there, ready. I know when somebody picked on my middle brother. Do you know what big brother did? I jumped to his defense. You don't mess with my brother. That's my job. But I came to his defense. What should this army have done? He just hit Goliath. They should have ran ahead to do it. But yet, what did God do? The fear that the Israelite army was wearing manifested in this fake Philistine army. And David won. But we don't know what's on the other side of that valley so many times. That uncertainty alone becomes another giant. And we end up seeing giant after giant after giant ready to battle us. But look at that worry, that fear, compared to Lord God Himself. And that is when we need to say, this giant God, he's your battle. He's your fight. And upon your truth, I won't move. Because the battle is the Lord's. I will stand here. I will face it. 
I will be unmoving, even with these pipsqueak of weapons that I have, because I know you have already won the battle. It is God's own love for us that causes Him to bring us to an end of, to that victory. He sees our need to trust Him and He gives it greatly. He will not let us live another day without turning over everything to Him, turning our fears, our worries, and our confusion so that nothing more significant in our life is God. That's what Brady was saying. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It is all or nothing. Most people know the 23rd Psalm. But listen to this verse. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, didn't David just walk through a valley with armies and a giant? I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Even when I go up against the biggest giant, I will not be afraid. For you, God, you are close beside me. Your powerful protection and provisions will guide me. David put his whole trust in God. David put everything on the line for God. And because of that, we now have this wonderful, wonderful story of David and Goliath. The giant who should have won. The giant who had all the training, the weapons, the armor. Versus a pipsqueak shepherd who had a rock collection. But he had God. I know some of you are facing giants. We've talked about it. We, we pray about it. We, and so many times we try to forget about it. But David stood on God. And he faced it. Now I really think, I really think that as he's running towards this giant, that God is saying to Satan, Watch this. You think you're big? Look what my little boy here can do. And as that rock went out of the sling, God just went, gave it a little more power. And Goliath fell face forward. Now, this is, this is very interesting. You would think if it was so powerful, I've been hit in the head. It knocks you back. It hit him. And it caused him to come forward, which means there was momentum in Goliath enough that it knocked him, and then he fell down. He wasn't dead. Scripture said that. He wasn't dead until David cut his head off. God took and took the giants and threw them on the ground and then said, Okay, David, you get the finishing blow. I lined him up. It's perfect. Here you go. And how many times are there giants in our life and God is saying, I'm going to lay him down and I'll even let you have the final blow. Just trust me. Get out there in the battle and stand. So instead of David and Goliath, maybe it's St. Joe in our culture. Maybe it's you and the family dynamics. But when we are with God, we're not going to lose. David put his whole trust, his whole faith in God. But notice he didn't use his own weapons. He used what God provided for him to do that final death blow. 
We don't always need to know how or when we're going to be victorious. We don't need to know how the battle's going to work out. A lot of us want to know. I need details, God, before I put trust in this. Well, that's not faith. We just need to know, God, the battle is yours. And wherever you lead, I'll go. Because nothing can beat you. No weapon formed that scripture formed against you will prosper. Not even a 125 coat of armor, not a 15 pound spear, not Satan himself will prosper. God will win. Now here's the thing: if you are not in God's army, if you're not standing against God's enemies, then you're standing against God. I don't want to be Goliath. I like my head where it's at. So let's put it into God. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And I'm going to ask right now, if any of you are facing a giant, will you boldly, triumphantly, victoriously stand up and say and announce it that this is my giant? You don't even, if it's a name, we don't need to know the name. But I am going to stand on the principles of God and I will not move because the battle is God's. Will you stand and say, I'm ready to fight for God because He has already won the battle? Will you make that declaration today? Let's stand and come if you need to make that.